Today's Godcast was given live during the 2021 Northern Ohio Youth Camp as a part of a special devotion series, Unmovable, We Will Not Be Shaken. At the NOYC, we desire for youth and adults alike to live a life that is unmovable and always abounding through Jesus Christ. Find more Christian content and special series by visiting our website at www.thenoyc.com or check out our social media pages. We have learned some amazing things. We have had a lot of fun. We have done some incredible uh, games and activities. Uh, We have had some wonderful church services. Amen. Wonderful church services. And we have learned some amazing things in our devotion classes. We have learned about the power of the unmovable message, right? We have learned about the capabilities of the unmovable master, right? We have learned all about the size of our faith in the unmovable motion. But the question that I have for you today, the thing that I want to leave us with before we leave camp is this. What are we going to do with all of that stuff? What are we going to do with all of that stuff? Because it's one thing to sit in devotion classes and learn about these things. But the question is, what decision did we make with them and take away with us? Because I got news for you guys. Today's the last day. Right? If you didn't understand the meaning of bittersweet, you're living it right now. This is the last day of camp. Right? And so we are going to leave this place in just a few hours, and you're going to go back out there into the world, into your homes, into your jobs, into your schools, and you're going to have to make a decision right now with what you're going to do, with what you have learned and what you have dealt with on these altars all week long at camp. We're going to be talking about the unmovable mindset. If I could, let's get us started with a verse of Scripture The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. We've looked at this verse of Scripture several several times this week in different capacities. What does it mean to take a stand? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean to take a stand for something? Usually what happens is this. When we say that we're going to take a stand for something, we jump on a bandwagon. That's really what happens. There's something that's already going on. There's some movement that is already taking place, and we decide that we're going to jump on that bandwagon, and there have been a lot of them. If you think back over the past year and a half, our world has got crazy, and there are all kinds of bandwagons to jump on. There's the bandwagon of equality the bandwagon of racism, the bandwagon of politics, the bandwagon of the economy and the policies around the the economy, the bandwagon of public health, the bandwagon of women's rights, the, the bandwagon of bigotry and hatred, and they're all over the place. And I'm not saying that these aren't noble or just or moral causes, but what should we be taking a stand for? And what should we be taking a stand against? Shouldn't it be Christ and him alone? Shouldn't that be the thing that as God's people, that we make a choice that this is what we are going to stand for? And if we're being honest, we've looked back over the past year and a half of our lives and we realize that many of us have faltered and failed, myself included, guys. I look back and um, I've seen some of the posts 
that some of us here in this camp have made over the past year and a half. And again, myself included in this. We've been determined to stand for Trump or against him. We have been determined to stand for masks or against them. We have been determined to stand for our economy and our schools opening back up or keeping them closed until this virus is under control. And all the while, we have lost sight of the fact that we have no regard for what those decisions are making for our ability to stand for Christ. Taking a stand for Christ is not popular. It does not have momentum behind it. It is not the, uh, the popular opinion of our society, but that is exactly what we are called to do. And if we take anything away from our camp this week, we have to take this with us that we must be unmovable in our mindset to fight for the Lord. We are warriors. Can I say that again? And can you reply it like you mean it? We are warriors, right? Ephesians chapter 6 is all too familiar, right? We know it. Take on the whole armor of God, blah, 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 blah. We've heard it all our life. We've heard it in vacation Bible school. We've heard it in teaching. We've heard it in Sunday school classes. We've heard it in preaching. Take on the armor of God, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood and yada, yada, yada. But how seriously do we take that verse of Scripture? We know that mankind is not our enemy, right? Mankind is not our enemy, but it's easier to stand in a picket line outside of a Planned Parenthood than intervene in the life of one single pregnant teenager. It's easier for us to fight against the people that we are called to serve than against the devil that is behind all of that mischief. We view God's armor as a way to defend ourselves from the attack of the enemies, and that's true enough. But we lack the mindset to put this armor on each and every day so that we can be prepared for the battles that come. By the way, thank you, Joss, for giving me the last two days of the week. I'm actually really grateful that God has allowed my voice to last this long. So if I squeak, don't laugh at me too much, okay? A soldier's mindset is one of obedience and determination. And I'm going to tell you a story today about a man. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm a history guy. His name is Joshua Chamberlain. And I'm going to tell you a story about what this man did during the Civil War. In the summer of 1863, the United States had been involved in one of the bloodiest conflicts that it would ever be in. It was the Civil War. It never ceases to amaze me how many kids don't know the Civil War. They don't know the history of the American people. But the Civil War was a war that was fought by Americans. It was fought by uh, the Union Army or the Northern Army, and it was fought by the Confederate Army, the southern states of the United States of America. They had divided over the issue of states' rights, and as this war would go on, it would become this ideological war about freeing the slaves and ridding America, the land that is supposed to be the land of the free, the just, the righteous. It was about freeing America from this blight of slavery. In 1863, this horrible war had been going on for two years. It had pitched friends against friends, brothers against brothers, fathers against sons, 
The war had been decidedly in favor of the Confederate Army, not because they were bigger or more equipped. The Union Army, the North, they had the better infrastructure, they had more manufacturing, they had more railroads, they could get supplies to their men, they had a bigger army, but the Confederate Army, time and time again, would defeat the Union Army because of one thing, their mindset. What it was that they were fighting for, they believed in, and they fought hard for it. They fought tooth and nail to get what they believed in. But in 1863, the momentum of the war would change drastically at the Battle of Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, particularly at this battle called Little Round Top. And this is a picture of Little Round Top. If you can look at the picture, there's a then, there's a before and after. That first picture up there is from the, uh, the war in, 18, in the 1860s. The bottom one is more recent. But you can see that little patch of rocks there up that hill. It just kind of looks like a big hill. It's actually 650 feet in the air. It's a lot bigger than what it looks in that picture. But that little patch of rocks and that kind of open space, that's a little round top. This was uh, the, the furthest left part of a, uh, a whole ridge line called Cemetery Ridge. And that's where the Union Army, the Northern Army, they took up their defensive position there in uh, the town of Gettysburg. This position was vitally important, not because it was the biggest. It was called Little Round Top for a reason. There was a smaller hill called Big Round Top, and then Devil's Den was down the road a little bit. There were all these positions. Little Round Top was not the biggest mountain peak there, but it was vitally important because it was open. You could get soldiers on it. And it was also the end of the Union Army. That was, that was, that was the leftmost part of the Union Army. This position was meant uh, uh, to be a position of, of great importance in this battle because if the Confederate Army could get around them in that place, then they could outflank the Union Army. They could overtake them. They could get their troops up there, and they could swing around behind the Union Army and cut them off from their supply lines in the north. And if they could do that, if they could circle around them, cut off their supply lines, then the Confederate Army could literally walk to the Capitol and end the war. This is what was at stake in the summer of 1863. On the morning of July 2nd, Little Round Top only had a handful this vitally important position only had a handful of Union soldiers on it. A division of soldiers. A division is maybe 15,000, 20,000 men, right? Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a big unit. A division of soldiers were supposed to be there. A whole division was supposed to be there, taking up this position, defending this position. But the commanding officer of this division, he, he didn't obey orders, if I could say it politely. He just didn't obey orders. He, he dis, disregarded what his officers had told him. And he went to a position further up the line that the battle was already raging on. See, he was out for his own personal glory was what it really was. He was out there looking for something. And he abandoned the position of Little Round Top. When a scout for the Union Army who had been sent to assess this situation at Cemetery Ridge found that nobody was there, nobody was defending that vital position of Little Round Top. He sent a message to that commanding officer, but by that time it was too late. He had already been engaged in the battle down the line, and he had no soldiers to spare to get there. Just so happened that there was another commanding officer who was there, and he heard what was going on, 
he recognized the importance of the of little round top and so he sent his division over there on the double quick you know what the double quick is it's that light jog it puts a sense of urgency into things you're not just walking anymore you're not just taking a leisurely stroll we need to get there and we need to get there now because this position is vitally important in that division was the 20th Maine Regiment and its commanding officer, Joshua Chamberlain. Let me tell you about the 20th Maine. They were the weak link in this division. When this regiment was founded, it had 1,621 men in it. And over the course of two years of fighting, they had dwindled down to 266 men. Over 80% of the, of the regiment had been died, had uh, been captured or died throughout the course of the war. They were battered, they were beaten. There was one other main regiment that had some men in it that were kind of floating around. They didn't know what to do with them, so they gave them to the 20th Maine. And 120 men were added to the 20th Maine to bring their numbers to 386 men. When they arrived at Little Round Top after, by the way, uh, if I can just, point this out I didn't put this in the notes they marched 26 miles the day before to even get to Cemetery Ridge 26 miles some of us out there walking around during the amazing race like I'm not gonna make it guys they marched did you get that on camera by the way or did I just completely fall out of they marched 26 miles just to get there and then they had to get on the double quick because that position was so important that they needed to be there now. They get there and the commanding officer looks at Colonel Chamberlain and he tells him this. This is the extreme left flank of the Union Army. You must hold this ground at all costs. And then he sends him on his way. Those are the last words to him. Talk about some pressure, guys. Talk about the weight and gravity of a situation crumbling down on you in that moment. Hey, Riley, where you at, Riley? Come here, bud. I need you to do something for me this morning. Oh, my gosh. You're good. Get up here. Double quick, double quick. Hey, grab that musket, dude. Oh, man, look at him. Every, every, there was a collective, ugh. <laughs> don't just relax, okay? Do you know what your imagination is? Okay, don't point a gun at people. Here's what we're going to do. You're going to pretend to be my soldier, okay? You're, you're, you are now commissioned in the 20th Maine Regiment, all right? Here's what I need you to do. You're going to take out your powder. You're going to rip it open. You're going to rip it open, okay? Get that. You don't load a musket that way. Come on. Act like you've done this before, okay? You're going to fill your musket with your powder, okay? And then you're going to take a musket ball out. Yep, that's in this pocket, yep. Drop that musket ball down there, okay? It's not going to come out because this is a replica, and it's not going to fire at you, so don't panic, okay? But this is called your ramrod. They'd pull that ramrod out, and they would have to pack that powder and that musket ball down in there, right? Right? Then they'd... Take the ramrod back out, put it back in place because you don't want to lose it. Because if you lose it in the battle, then you're done, right? Can't, can't load your gun, right? So then what you do is you pick your gum up. Your gum? Did I say gum? Pick your gun up. 
and you point it at the enemy. The enemy's over there. That's not our enemy. Did you cock your, did you, did you, are you going to fire? You got you to gotta pull that back to fire. Have you ever done this before? There it is. There it is. Now you'd aim. You'd find your target. Don't, not the laptop. We want that. Find your target and fire. There it is. Now you got to get back up because the enemy is still there. They're still coming. See, this is the process of firing the musket. I might have missed a few steps. I didn't study it that hard. But that's the process. And I want you to just keep going through that process here. It took about 20, 25 seconds for a good, seasoned, veteran soldier to fire a musket. If you were a good soldier in those days, you could get about three shots off every minute. And when the battle began, it was intense and it was chaotic. The, the, uh, the Confederate Army, they sent two regiments up you keep firing there. The enemy's still coming. Come on. Bullets are whizzing all around me. I got things to do over here. I <laughs> don't hit the laptop. The Confederate Army sent a, a couple regiments that had over 700 men in it. So double the size of the, of the 20th Maine. And although they were struck with a horrific volley of fire time and time and time and time again, the Union Army just kept firing and the Confederate Army just kept coming. And time and time and time again, they would get hit and they would fall and they would regroup and they would come back up that hill and they would fight again. By the time that the, 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 the battle was nearly over, it had gone on for three hours like this. Three hours where this is what you're doing. You marched 26 miles the day before. You marched at the double quick to get in position up a 650-foot rock uh, hill. And then the enemy is charging up at you, and you are firing down at them. For three hours, this battle rages. The 20th Maine had fired 15,000 rounds in that time. 15,000 rounds. The soldiers at this point are running out of ammo. They're literally taking ammunition off of the dead soldiers laying among them just so they can keep fighting. And as the battle goes on, they start to get pushed back little by little. And they end up up in the, up in the woods, just up the hillside. And at this point, his men are tired. His men are exhausted. Thank you. That was like the worst fake tired I've ever heard from you. You, yeah, there it is. That's, act like you did this morning when I first saw you. <laughs> Colonel Chamberlain had lost more than half of his men at this point. He's down to about 160, 170 men. Situation is dire. They have no ammunition. They are exhausted. They are beaten. They are battered. But there is something, as Colonel Chamberlain looks around at his men, as his other officers are coming up and asking him, what are your orders? What are we going to do? There is something gnawing in the back of his mind. He just can't let this position go. Do you know why? Because he remembered what his orders were. He remembered the last thing that his commanding officer had told him. You are the extreme left flank. There is nobody else beyond you to fight. So you have to hold this ground at all costs. So what does he do? 
He knows he can't stay here. His men have nothing to fight with. He knows he can't stay in this position, but he knows he cannot abandon it either. So you know what he does? He gives the order to fix bayonets. 17 inches of cold, hard steel comes to a narrow point at the end, and it's shaped like a square. It gets fat and long when, as it gets to the base. It's designed, come here, Riley. Turn sideways for me. Turn sideways for me. No, not, why would you turn away from me? Turn towards me. It's designed to go all the way through a man. It's designed to put a hole in a man in such a way that the wound is untreatable on the battlefield and they would die slowly and painfully. It is designed for the most dire and desperate of situations. Can you do me a favor? Pop that right on there like that. And then I'm going to give you this. You got to screw this little screw right here. Unscrew that and tighten that guy down on there for me, will you? Thank you, Ryder. The bayonet, yeah, don't, don't, don't stab yourself. The bayonet was such a rarely used thing in the Civil War that only 1% of the soldiers that died during the Civil War died by the way of bayonet. Because the bayonet meant that you were up close and you were personal. It meant that you had no other options. It meant that you had to make a choice as to what you were fighting for was worth it or not. And who was the most determined would who would come out on top. He gave the order to fix bayonets, and it was likely because his men were so scattered out all over the battlefield that they wouldn't have heard it. But as they heard one by one their fellow soldiers unsheath that bayonet and fix it to their musket, that they would have known what their commanding officer had just given the order to do. They would have recognized that this is it, boys. This is where we make our final wherefore. Stand. 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 This was it. With one final command, right wheel forward, the men of the 20th Maine charged down the hill, swinging like a door. And they took the enemy by so much surprise that half of the Confederate army just threw down their weapons and gave up immediately. They're tired, they're exhausted, they have no ammunition. But the mindset that they had was this is a position worth fighting for. They end up taking 400 Confederate soldiers captive. They held the position and the Union Army ends up going on to win the war because one man, Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, had the audacity to make up his mindset before the battle began that he was going to see it through. Guys, can I, can I share something with you? I just gave you your spiritual life in a nutshell. I told you yesterday I was not here to sell you something. We live in an age of false prophets. 
you can go to any church on the corner and get something that makes you feel good. You can go to any church down the road and find something that is going to make you feel good for a while. They are going to tell you that God wants you to be happy, that God wants you to be rich, that God wants you to be famous. They are going to tell you that you are important. They are going to tell you that you are somebody, that you are enough. And I am not here to tell you any of that. I am here to tell you that you are a warrior in a holy war, and you better make up your mind as to what side you're on. We need to be prepared for the battles that we face in this life. How many men would he lose? How tired would they be? How much ammunition would they go through? None of that stuff mattered to Colonel Chamberlain. What mattered were the orders that he were given. Hold this ground, whatever it takes. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep fighting. In the context of our text, we read, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. You know what standing is? It's not this. It's being upright. It is being in a position that is not hidden. You know what withstanding means? When you withstand something, it means that you actively oppose it. So what that verse of scripture is literally telling us to do is to get up and fight. Because the enemy, whether you're ready or not, is coming. Before we ever dive into the aspects of God's armor, before we ever begin to train with what God has provided us to use, we have to take up the mindset of a soldier. We have to be determined and ready to fight for our Lord. We have to take unto ourselves his armor, his tools, because his armor does us no good if it's sitting in a corner collecting dust or rusting. A soldier trains and prepares so that when the battle comes, he knows what to do. And guys, I got to tell you something. We are not citizens in this war. We are not in a place of peace. We are in a world where we are constantly being bombarded with attacks from the enemy. We are in a world where we are constantly having to choose what it is that we are going to do and if we are going to stand for what God says or what we want. We have to be prepared. We are holding the high ground of the cross of Jesus Christ. And in your life, you are the extreme left flank in God's holy army. Could you repeat that after me? I am the extreme left flank in God's holy army. I am the extreme left flank in God's holy army. But how many times do we ignore his orders? How many times do we go down the road where the battle might not be as hot? How many times do we get away from the situations that, uh, that we know that we should be fighting in and simply just push things off? How many times do we go about it on our own? How many times do we think that these things that we're fighting for, they're not that important that we can let things go, and we ignore the instruction of God's word? 
How many times do we abandon our post? Here's the thing, guys. Little round top, it didn't seem that important. But that was the most important position on that battlefield that day. And if we allow the enemy to take the position of the high ground of the cross of Christ, then he is not only going to circle in around you and crush you, but he is going to cut off all of the people that you could influence for Christ. And the crushing and devastating defeat that Satan wants for their life, he'll get it. Colonel Chamberlain and the 20th Maine made up their minds that day that they would not give up that position. And we have that same choice before us as well. We are the only thing that is standing in the way of our friends at school. We are the only thing that is standing in the way of our teachers and our coworkers and our family members. So we better make up our minds. Are we going to fight or are we going to flee? We have to prepare our mindset to fight for the Lord. Not only that, see, they messed them up, I think. Are we, we supposed to be a couple ahead? Yeah, there we go. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. Oh, go back, go back. They missed it. See, I told you if it, was, if it got messed up, it wasn't my fault. So, Josh just probably can't follow me. That's fair. To prepare is to take something unto ourselves, to make something ready for use. And preparation has got to be something that we do daily, guys. Preparation has got to be something that we do on a normal basis. We cannot wait until we're in the battle to decide that we are going to fight. Because in that moment, it is too late. The enemy is already there. We are already overwhelmed. And we are already going to be in a position where if we're not in that mindset, we are going to flee and we are going to run. In 1 Peter, the Bible tells us that we are to gird up the loins of our mind. That saying, it comes from a, a, a metaphor where the Orientals would take their long flowing garments and they would bind them up. They would, they would literally tie them around their waist when they were going to go on a long journey or they were going to do some work. The good old-fashioned American version would be, it's time to roll up your sleeves. It's time to get dirty. It's time to get in it. Because we are about to do something, right? When we gird up the loins of our minds, we had better prepare ourselves for the battles that come. In Psalms chapter 18, verse 39, the Bible says, For he has girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Do you notice the position that we are fighting from? We go forward, Josh. When we settle our mindset, when we settle our mindset on being a warrior, on being somebody that fights, on being somebody that is willing to sacrifice, on being somebody that is willing to defend the position of the cross, we find something. Go ahead, go forward for me. We find that we fight from an elevated position. You guys realize that this morning? You, as a Christian, you are not fighting from a position of, uh, of, of being in the valley this morning. You are fighting from a position of up on the hilltop. The elevated position gives us the strategic advantage. The elevated position takes away our doubts. It takes away our fears. 
It takes away our sin. It takes away our struggle. It takes away all of the difficulties of the fight because we can look down on our enemy. So why in the world do we constantly act like Satan has the upper hand when we know good and well that no evil that is formed against me shall prosper and that in Christ Jesus we have the victory? The fact is that from this elevated position, the enemy has to come to us. So stop taking the fight to him down in his terms. Hold your ground. And yes, even though the high ground is there and even though we have that strategic position, times are still going to get hard. There will still be battles. I told you yesterday, I'm not selling you anything. There are still going to be struggles in life. There are still going to be difficulties in life. There are still going to be waves that crash into us. The enemy is still going to come up that hill time and time and time again, no matter how much that you fight, no matter how much that you fire, no matter how much that you, uh, uh, that you fight back, you're going to see brothers and sisters in the Lord walk away from their faith. You're going to see your people die all around you spiritually. You're going to feel like a failure. You're going to feel like you're not equipped to fight these battles. You are going to give up position. You are going to sin. And the enemy is going to drive you back off of your defensive line. What are you going to do? What are you going to do in those moments? Have you prepared? Are you settled? Guys, this is the last day. You're going to leave. You're going to go back there. Whatever your home life is like, whatever your school life is like, whatever your work life is like, whatever type of people that you live around, you're going to go back to that environment. Right now, are you prepared? I'm saying right now. Don't wait until you get on the bus to go home and go, man, I'm nervous about going back. I should have done some things today differently. Right now, are you prepared? Right now, are you prepared? Fight as though you have the upper hand because in Christ you do. Having done all to stand, stand. Having done all to stand, stand. When you feel like your friends have betrayed you, let this be your battle cry. Bayonet! Whenever you feel like you are alone, let this be your battle cry. Bayonet! When you feel like you don't want to get in that pulpit, pastors, and preach that gospel because you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere. Let this be your battle cry. Bayonets. When that doctor tells you that news that you didn't want to hear, let this be your battle cry. Bayonets. Whenever you don't get that grade on that test that you were hoping to get, let this be your battle cry. Bayonets. Whenever you feel like you are alone, remember that God said he is with you. And let this be your battle cry in those moments of intense ferocity of your life. Bayonets. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
Hold that up. Hold that up. Because God's word prepared in the heart of the believer puts more fear into the enemy than any physical thing that we can do in this world. It will give encouragement when the enemy means to discourage. It will give faith that rises above doubts and fears. It will give peace that passes all understanding. It will give hope in the most hopeless of situations. It will give grace when you think you have failed too much to have anything forgiven to you. It will give joy that drowns out all of your sorrows. It will give you the courage to endure and go on at all costs. God's word, a mighty bayonet, equips us to fight. So you want to be unmovable? You want to be unmovable? Equip yourself with the message. Equip yourself with the master. Equip yourself in the motion of life. Prepare your mind to fight. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because when we take God's word and we put it here and let it seep down into here, we find that there's nothing that we cannot do because God is with us and who can be against us. What do you guys want to do? Huh? Do you want to leave here unprepared? You want to go back? You want to fight all those struggles by yourself? You want to prepare something? This is your last day. These altars are open. Whatever we do today, game time, playing in the slime, eating food, doing whatever we do, prepare your mindset so that we can fight the battles that are coming. And I promise you, God will equip you with what you need to get through it. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Christ. That's our victory, guys. We are not citizens here, but we will be citizens there. So while we are here, let's fight. God bless you guys. I love you. I am so glad, so thankful for this week, thankful for what it means. As we close, I'm going to get out of the way and let Josh come up here. But before I do that, can, can we just say one quick word of prayer to close so that we can take these devotions, we can apply them to our lives, and we can use them as we go down through the week? Let's bow our heads, guys. Dear Heavenly and Precious Father, God, we love you, Lord, and we thank you, God, for what you have shown us this week, God, for your, for your great love and for your great mercy. God, thank you for camp and for the friendships and the fellowships, God, but most of all, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for what we have heard and what we have learned. Help us, God, as we go back our separate ways, God. I don't know each child. I don't know each adult. I don't know their situations, God, but I know that you do. God, as we go our separate ways, I pray, God, that we would take what we have learned this week and we would be sincere. We would hide these things in our heart. We would call upon them in the struggles of our life and we would look to you, God, to be the source of our strength and our unmovability in life. God, we love you. We pray that this, this camp would impact our life long after we leave here. Thank you so much for joining the NOIC for our special series, Unmovable, We Will Not Be Shaken. We pray that this message has been a blessing and a challenge to your Christian walk with Christ.
We invite you to share today's episode that we may encourage one another in the Lord. You can also find more Christian content and special series by visiting our website at www.thenyc.com or check out our social media pages. Until next time, continue on in Christ.